welcome to the Retreat House Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Smith. I've invited a friend to the table to share their story. Come and join us. Welcome to the table. We are off-site today. We are at Bethel Seminary because today I am talking with Justin Irving about a new book he wrote with Mark Strauss called Leadership and Christian Perspective, Biblical Foundations and Contemporary Practices for Servant Leaders. If you are thinking that Justin's last name Irving sounds a little familiar, that's because you heard from his wife Tasha in a few episodes back. We were running partners for running Grandma's Marathon, which was so fun. And one of the times that we ran together, I went over to her house and we were running and she was talking about Justin's book. And I was like, what? I want to talk to Justin about his book. So I'm so excited to have Justin here. He is a Ph.D. and professor of ministry leadership and director of the D-Men program at Bethel Seminary in St. Paul. He is married to Tasha and they have five children. So welcome to the podcast, Justin. Thanks so much. Really excited to be here. Is there anything else you want to say about yourself to introduce yourself? Well, I think you named my best credential. I'm connected to Tasha. so <laughs> <laughs> That's, You're going to get points for that, I bet. <laughs> so why this book? I mean, I see that leadership is a part of what you do here at Bethel, yeah. but there are lots of leadership books. So why this book? You know, what was the story behind sure. writing this book? So I teach leadership for the seminary, both at the doctor ministry level and also our, our MDiv and other master's programs here at the seminary. Mm-hmm. And so I'm constantly looking for good resources to share with students. And usually what I have to do is I need to find some book that kind of gives the best of what leadership research and theory has to offer. Because mm-hmm. I want my students to sort of know what's best practice in the field, what's good sound research. But usually that's not from an explicitly Christian voice. Now, some of those authors might be Christian, but they're not sharing that in the work that they do. Mm -hmm. So then I'm typically also then assigning a book by a pastor or somebody who's thinking theologically about leadership, or at least uh, thinking about leadership from a pastoral perspective. And so I have two different kinds of books assigned to students, and then we talk about doing integration in the class between these resources. But then that really kind of led to saying, what if there was an integrative project Mm. that brought those threads together, not only for students in the classroom, but just Christian leaders in general to be able to say, let's not water down the best of what's available in theory and research, but how do we bring that together with good biblical theological reflection and say, how does that translate into practice? So it was kind of, there was a void in the literature. Mm -hmm. And um, so talk to Mark Strauss about it and he loved the idea and so we pitched the idea to Baker, and they thought it was a good idea as well. Well, and I, what I loved about it is the way that you set up each chapter, too, that you went through the biblical perspective, then the contemporary perspective, and then how do you put those into practice? Yes. So is that just very purposeful from what you just explained, what you were seeing in the classroom, what you wanted for your students. Absolutely. Um, Some of it, it's just wired the way Mark and I are. So Mm -hmm. he is a New Testament scholar. He's on the NIV translation committee, knows a lot about translation. So he's really knows his field well. He knows the Bible well, but he does that with a pastoral heart, cares Mm -hmm. about, he has done a lot of interim pastoral work and just is a great 
thinker when it comes to biblical exegesis. My field is in leadership studies, and mm-hmm. so we kind of have each wrote a section on sort of bringing the best that we could to the table from our discipline. But then we said, well, now let's integrate that into practice. What do people really do with this uh, on a day-to-day level in their leadership? So, yeah, it was intention. Uh, we, we brought sort of that three-tiered uh, approach to each mm-hmm. chapter, and we're hoping that people will be able to leave with some things that they can really use when they go to their job or go to their family and just think about application of what we're talking about. Yeah. Two things from what you said. One thing I didn't mention is that you and I went to college together. Absolutely. (laughs) So we've known each other for a very long time. And you had time as a pastor as well. I did. So you served in that kind of leadership I did. Yeah. So uh, it was early 2000s. It was Mm -hmm. about a four-year period that I served in uh, on a pastoral team at a church and really loved that time frame. Other opportunities were emerging in the academic realm as well. Mm-hmm. And for a while, I did both of those things and a PhD program. And wow. Tasha and I were both exhausted by the busyness. And, <laughs> you know, at some point in your life, you have to realize, I can't do everything. Mm-hmm. I've got to I've got to pick something pick that we f- feel like God's leading us to. And so you know, I've been here at Bethel now for 19 years. Wow. Yeah. And then the other thing was absolutely yes to your what you said about the book being hopefully something that someone could take into whatever kind of wherever it is that they have leadership. I was thinking about that when I was reading it, that someone, when they see that you're a PhD and Mark is a PhD, they might think, oh, that's an academic book. And it is. There's academic mm-hmm. research behind it, but it's very practical and very accessible and like able to put it into practice. I mean, I, as I was reading, I was thinking about my roles as a mom, my role as a podcaster, my mm-hmm. the different roles that I hold that that this book would be great for that. And I'm just I'm excited to dive in. <laughs> so let's just dive in. So at the beginning you break up the book into three different parts. Mm-hmm. So beginning with authentic and purposeful leaders, understanding the priority of people, and then navigating toward effectiveness. And I, I think I want to kind of stay in the beginning in that first part yeah. there were some things in there that really stuck out to me or two of the things that really stuck out to me is self leadership and self differentiation mm-hmm. took me a long time to be able to say that word uh, congratulations <laughs> yeah. good word because I think when people think about leadership they think about they're thinking about how am I leading these people not necessarily who am I as a leader mm-hmm. and what are the things that yeah. I need to do. Yeah. So will you talk a little bit about what self-leadership and self-differentiation are? Absolutely. Uh, that's probably one of my favorite topics in the book oh, good. <laughs> uh, because um, not only is it sort of personally meaningful, but um, from a research perspective, that was the dominant thread that came out of the research. So this is the nine practices that are shared in the book came out of what's in statistics is a regression model and looking for sort of what are the top influences that lead to effectiveness in teams and organizations. Mm-hmm. And the most important variable was this concept of engaging in honest self-evaluation. So okay. some Sometimes as leaders, we like to, to jump towards what are we doing for other people? How are we impacting individuals, teams, groups, organizations, small groups, whatever the case might be? But the reality is, is we can't do that well if we're not leading ourselves well. Mm. So it's a sense of uh, how am I attending to my own formation, my, my spiritual formation, my personal, my emotional formation. If I don't do that well, mm-hmm. I can't give uh, to others because I'm giving out of an empty well in a sense. Right. 
So uh, just conceptually, I think we have to resist this idea that self-leadership is selfish. It's not. Mm. Yeah, I know you have a heart for the, the retreat concept. Mm-hmm. I, I think leaders need to have a sense of investing in their own development, their own uh, leadership, their own emotional health, because that's when they can cast health on others rather than cast dysfunction on others. Well, and you're coming, too, from a place of being refreshed mm-hmm. instead of uh, a place of burnout Absolutely. or a place of scarcity. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What, can I ask, what did you what did you learn about this idea of self-differentiation? I, I, I think it's a vital theme for leaders. Well, what I thought, well, the first time I heard of it was when I was auditing a class here at the seminary, yeah. a preaching class, uh-huh. and she said it, and I had never heard of it before. And then I think I was trying to find it after I was reading about it in here, a video mm-hmm. that just kind of defines what it means because it, it's a big word. It sounds a little bit loaded, but basically, and you can correct me if this is wrong, basically it means that you are who you are emotionally no matter what is happening around you. That's great. Is yeah, that, I oh, think so. Okay. Yeah, and there's lots of ways to talk about it. I think it, it really comes down to sort of what does it look like in practice? Mm-hmm. It's the capacity to have a non-anxious presence regardless of what's happening around you. And you can kind of quickly see why that would be important for leaders. Right. You know, um, parents, we all know that <laughs> parenting at times, we're, we're freaking out on decisions that need to be made or budgets that need to mm-hmm. be attended to. But we're not supposed to cast all that anxiety on our children. Our, our children need to feel like mom and dad are well, even though there are challenges in life. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a sense of uh, we we can face the world around us with a non-anxious presence. Now, it's not to say that there isn't anxiousness, right? Leaders right. Ex- feel anxiousness. Parents feel anxiousness. Uh, but it's what do you do with it? How do you lean into that in a healthy way? Uh, I also think of self-differentiation is how do I deeply care for the people in my life, for the, the, the people that I'm leading, without being overly dependent on their opinion of me? Mm, see, that's the, there. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. That's good. <laughs> but that's that's tough work, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Now, I think different people have different challenges. Like some people might sort of land on one side of the continuum that looks like callousness, right? It's like, well, I don't care about anything that anybody thinks about them. And on the other side is sort of this codependency and just sort of always feeling like uh, if I'm not getting praise from people, I'm just deflated. And, um, you know, we don't want to live on either sides of those extremes. We, we want to have authentic love for people, mm-hmm. authentic care for people that isn't dependent on what they're doing back to us. And, and again, the, the parental metaphors are helpful, right? right? I don't need my children to be praising me every day for me to, <laughs> That's to love good them. because it usually doesn't happen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, I want to have authentic love for them sort of regardless of what's returned Mm -hmm. yes and when you were talking about the the self-doubt earlier in the this chapter where you end up talking about self-differentiation you were talking about unless you maintain your own spiritual physical and emotional health you'll be unable to serve others effectively self-care and honest self-evaluation are essential for successful leadership which we've stated i have a big yes with an exclamation point next to that (laughs) And then you talk about struggles that leaders have, and one of them that some leaders are plagued with self-doubt and often find themselves paralyzed and constantly second-guessing their decisions and their actions. And then I wrote me with an exclamation point because I feel that word paralyzed is something that I've used a lot myself in leadership where I'm just so afraid of something that I feel 
paralyzed mm. by it, mm-hmm. and I, which I think is why I, I appreciated that this. So I've like I'm having like wrestling thoughts in my head. Sure. So I really liked that you were talking about self leadership and self differentiation, but then also that and focusing on our on our leadership and who we are and taking an honest look at ourselves is important. But then also that self doubt and that wanting praise for me also gets muddled and muddy because it's still about me. Yeah. Yeah. Pride and insecurity are kind of the 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 same story to yes. s- two sides of the same coin. Yes. Yeah. Yep. One of the things that we talk about in this area in the book is this concept of humble self-efficacy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's uh, self-efficacy is uh, another kind of word that gets thrown around, but it's different than self-confident. I, I can feel confident about something that I shouldn't feel confident about. I use mm-hmm. the example in the book like, <laughs> I like, like I, you know, I'm, I'm an okay basketball player. I go to the y, YMCA and play with Caleb and Hannah and some of the other kids and, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can kind of hold my own at the Y. But if I were to say, I'm going to go up against one of the Golden State Warriors, I'm going to take Steph Curry on. I'm like, that. That no amount of confidence is going to help me play that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I need to have is a sense of self-efficacy, an accurate perception of what am I good at, what are my uh, growth edges, and to be comfortable with who I am as a person. That That's the sweet spot, is walking in hum- humility, but also saying, I do have some strengths to bring to the table, and mm-hmm. how can I be okay with those as well? Right. How do you put some of those things into practice, the self-leadership and self-differentiation? How do we actually walk that out? Well, one of the things that I would say is have people in your life that can speak truth to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think of uh, a short list of, you know, three, four, five people in my life that um, I've had long-term connections with. So, you know, they, they'll, they'll say, oh, Justin, great, congratulations on writing a book. But they've known me a lot longer than that. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that they love me not because of something I've done, mm-hmm. but they love me for who I am. And they're the people in my life that can also challenge me when they see things going awry. Uh, mm-hmm. And to be able to lean into those dynamics. So self-leadership is not about isolated leadership. It's not about being alone in attending to ourselves. Uh, people who write about emotional intelligence talk about that. Have people uh, shadow you for a day. See how you work with people. Let them speak into your life. Give you feedback on how you're working with team members. Uh, so having that kind of insight to mm-hmm. attend to our own self-journey, I think, is really important. Community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We talk a little bit too. You guys talked about emotional intelligence, which is something I think is so important in leadership and just in life. Actually, yeah. <laughs> we talk a little bit about that. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, there there are multiple intelligences. Uh, mm-hmm. Howard Garner was one of the people that kind of first talked about that dimension. It's not just sort of the kinds of things that are measured on the IQ test. Mm-hmm. We have lots of other forms of intelligence, and and so the dimensions that kind of connect to emotional intelligence are interpersonal and intrapersonal. So the inside me, you know, paying attention to my own self uh, Mm -hmm. and how do I engage people outside? So emotional intelligence is really about that. Do I, first of all, recognize emotion in myself and in relationship with others? And then how do I respond to the recognition? Mm -hmm. So people with higher levels of emotional intelligence will be able to see what's sort of happening in their life emotionally 
be able to see what's happening in the lives of others emotionally, and then to be able to respond in appropriate manners with what they're what they're seeing and paying attention to. I mean, it's a it's a simple concept, but you can kind of quickly see why that's important for leaders to not be oblivious to what's happening in their own lives and the lives of others at the emotional level. Well, that seems to go hand in hand with self differentiation too. To mm-hmm. to be aware of what's happening, but to not let it guide you, and or rule. Absolutely. You, what you're doing or how you're feeling. You went on to talk about the example of Barnabas, which I really loved. Mm-hmm. And, and the value, there were a, a bunch of values that you had talked about. And a lot of them had to be about what I was noticing, I think, because this has been something that's been sticking out to me is the seeing. Value by seeing the needs of people, value by seeking, value by seeing and encouraging the strengths of others. So will you talk about that? Because the whole book you're talking about being a servant leader. Mm-hmm. Barnabas is such a powerful example as a leader because you, you And I don't think I had really I don't think I fully appreciated that yeah. until I was reading it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think because we see Paul really take the stage, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't think I focused that much on on Barnabas. Which that that shift too from Barnabas to Paul even spoke to the kind of leader that Barnabas was. Absolutely. Uh, it, so Mark and I are emphasizing in this book the kind of the, the concept of empowering leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, empowering leadership is about trying to resource people to uh, equip and empower them to be all that God wants them to be in their lives. So mm-hmm. how do you come alongside one and not make the relationship about that person doing what you want or what just the organization wants, but how do you care about that person, value them, develop them as well? And I think of the biblical characters where we see that done, sort of the non-Jesus characters of the Bible, (laughs) uh, Barnabas is one of the best examples. So you go through the book of Acts, early on in Acts, you hear accounts of what's happening with Barnabas. And at that time, it's Saul, and Saul's breathing out murderous threats against the church. And slowly, this, this amazing conversion happens, and Paul takes him under his wing, takes a chance on him. You know, the, 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 the Jewish Christians in that first century context, they were fearful of this Saul that they had heard about. Mm-hmm. Barnabas took a chance on somebody whose life had been transformed by the gospel, took him under his wing, and kind of mentored him, discipled him in those early days. And so then you you read in in, uh, in Acts, Luke talking about this, this, uh, this imagery of uh, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, and then the language changes to Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. And next thing you know, it's Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, and then it's just Paul's story. Mm-hmm. And you don't get the sense that Barnabas is begrudging that. He is celebrating the work of God in someone's life mm-hmm. and how that's serving Jesus Christ building his church in the world. And uh, boy, if we could have leaders with that kind of commitment, mm-hmm. that it's less about them and it's more about what God's up to in the world and how do you empower the people around you to be all that God wants them to be, boy, what a beautiful place to live. Yeah, that is beautiful because I think a lot of people have a scarcity mindset yes. that there's not um, that much to go around. And so I need to grab at whatever is there instead of, a, you know, let's flourish together. That's right. And encourage each other. You were mentioning the empowerment, empowerment leadership. Mm-hmm. And on page 25 of the book, you're talking about equipping plus empowerment equals effectiveness. Yes. And then you talk about what does it look like when when one of those isn't working when yeah. when so we we talk about that cuz i felt yeah. like i could resonate 
a lot with that. Yeah. So well. Tasha and I, we don't love our math usually, but uh, this yeah. is a, this is a nice sort of. Uh, oh, can con- I just say that I know that yeah. when we're uh, doing the marathon and trying to figure out the math of where we were. She she has shared that story so many times, like you know, into the into mile 16, 17, 18, yeah. like uh, the numbers don't make sense. Yeah. Angie, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Are we on? Are we doing okay? Right, yeah, we're just fine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, so I guess it runs in the Irving family. <laughs> but I would, when I, especially when I'm teaching in classes and trying to get this concept of empowering leadership understood by folks in the room, I sort of write up on the board. I'm saying, well, what does it look like when you have empowerment minus equipping? So that's when you have somebody who is released to do a job, but they haven't really been trained to do that job mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. What happens? You end up with people who experience failure. Right? You you run out and you try something because you've been empowered, but you but you also haven't been encouraged and trained in how to do that. Mm-hmm. It leads to failure. The opposite, right? If you have somebody who's equipped, and I think this happens a lot in organizations where they receive the training, they receive the equipping, but then they're really not released and empowered to live out that training. Well, that that leads to frustration in people's lives, Mm -hmm. a sense of like, well, why did I get all this training if I'm spinning my wheels, not able to act on this? Mm -hmm. And so whether it's failure or frustration, people live in in that challenge of not having equipping and empowerment going together. But when you have a leader or a mentor or a coach, somebody who has come alongside you and has both said, here's how to do it. Here's the equipping part of it. Not in a patronizing way, but Mm -hmm. just in a a sense of like, here's what really needs, this is what's important in this role. And then empowered to live that out. I use the language of flourishing. That's when we experience what it means to be human and to flourish in our humanity. A sense of the equipping and empowerment coming together to really uh, be a rewarding experience for uh, organizational members at that point. Well, and I think everybody can relate to one of those two scenarios, mm-hmm. that they've been in a situation where they were free to do something but didn't know what they were doing yeah. or have all these ideas and want to hit the ground running and there's just a roadblock yeah. and, and there's yeah. n- they're not they're not allowed to. Yeah. And if I could speak to, so we've been kind of talking about the follower experience of that. Mm-hmm. If we put ourselves in the in the leader side of that equation, I think most of us have a, a, a tendency, a way that we err. Mm-hmm. So the the people who empower but don't equip, you know, that's the people that just, just want to delegate, you know, go do the job. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of my tendency at times, just, you know, figure it out, you know, go do the job. <laughs> the other side of the equation is the tendency towards micromanagement. It's mm-hmm. this, you know, giving so much much attention, so much detail and never letting someone run. So part of it is good self-leadership again, mm-hmm. being aware of what our tendencies are at leaders. Do we tend to be more focused on the empowerment without equipping or more focused on the equipping without empowerment? And when you become self-aware of your tendencies, then you can kind of try to give your followers a more holistic uh, sense of what they need. Well, And something too that I was thinking of as you were talking is the, the communication that's so important between the leader and the follower. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about a situation I was in where I was working with a group and we had someone that was leading us and I felt like they were an eagle eye over our shoulder yeah. the whole yeah. time. Yeah. And I finally just said that. And she said, well, I will be until you know what you're doing. And then once you know what you're doing, then I will back off. Yeah. Yeah. And so then it was actually when I was at Northwestern. Mm-hmm. And so partway through the year, we came in and we had a meeting with her and we had done everything that we needed to do. And she was like, great. And she ended up taking a step back because mm-hmm. now not only were had we been empowered, we were equipped That's great. to move forward. That's yeah, great. that was such a great yeah. example of, yeah. but I wouldn't have known that had I not said something. 
And it can feel frustrating early on, but mm -hmm. to be able to have that kind of communication uh, emphasized, and of course, that's another chapter in the book talking about right. the importance of communication in the leadership process, that gave you perspective uh, mm -hmm. to know what was happening. Uh, as you're also talking about the example, I was thinking about the leadership square that's talked about in the book. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's been used in lots of churches and organizations, but it's this it's this kind of simple model of, of how do you work with someone to develop them and move towards that point of delegation. And it usually begins with the leader saying, first of all, I'm going to do and you're going to watch. Mm -hmm. Next, I'm going to do and you're going to help. And then the, the equation shifts, kind of like with Paul, Barnabas and Paul. Mm -hmm. Then it's you're going to do and I'm going to help. And then you're going to do and I'm going to watch. And in some ways, it sounds like that leader did that, even mm -hmm. though it felt like the eagle eye at right. the first part of it. Well, and for me being a student and her being a staff person, too, I think it took... Well, I think it took humility, too, for her to be okay with me questioning That's good. what she was doing yeah. and not taking personal offense, but mm -hmm. explaining to me why she was doing what she was doing. Yeah. Just, I needed to hear myself say that because sometimes I'm in that <laughs> position and don't want to be questioned, but maybe that's yeah. being a mom yeah. sometimes, yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> so something else that I appreciated that you were talking about in here is the importance of, model, of the leader modeling hmm. what it is that you want. Yeah. And I loved the example that you used of the CEO from Fastenal. So will you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I, I loved one of the articles I found about the CEO. It's called uh, America's Cheapest CEO. <laughs> and I thought, well, what a, what a great kind of branding of this mm -hmm. person. And he was sort of famous for just trying to cut costs. But it wasn't, it wasn't about just trying to purge expenses from sort of the, uh, the mainline worker in the organization. He was saying, if I'm asking this of the organization, I need to model it. So he has a story of uh, heading off to Chicago, I think with the C, uh, CFO or something like that. And, I, and they ate at a fast food restaurant. He insisted on that they shared a room to, to kind of cut <laughs> expense. And they weren't going to fly uh, from Minnesota to Chicago. They were going to drive and hit, do a road trip. And there were, you know, he was known early in the days, too, of uh, when, when there was a big snowfall in Minnesota, he'd be out shoveling the walkways and uh, just kind of jumping in. When your CEO is out shoveling the walk... That says something. It I mean, really does. that is huge. That communicates volumes. <laughs> yeah, and he. Uh, there's a story of uh, he would he would get his suits from a a, a, a local uh, manager of a suit store, and he didn't he didn't buy them from the store. He bought them from the manager. <laughs> <laughs> it was the manager's used suits that he bought his suits from. And, uh, you know, so it was just sort of this relentless saving money kind of approach, mm -hmm. capped his salary for a long, long period of time. And it turns out that, uh, you know, Fastenal ended up growing to be a very, very valuable company. And the and the board was constantly saying, you need a higher salary, you need mm -hmm. a higher salary. But he was wanting to model efficiency at the expense cost level. And it wasn't about just always maximizing profit for the company. It was about pouring back into the community. It was about profit sharing with the employees. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of want to get behind a leader like that mm -hmm. who's saying, we're in this together. I'm not going to be living this plush life while you're struggling. We, w we want to, to grow and flourish together in this right. endeavor. Which is what I, I think we see a lot of the other, mm -hmm. where people are want to live a posh life and be separate and yeah. aren't thinking about the man or woman yeah. on the yeah. assembly line. Yeah, that's right. And and like I'm a person that's not like hypercritical of CEOs. Like that is a demanding job. That's mm -hmm. important work. But to have someone who says yes, it's important, but 
we've got to think about this in a holistic system as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that was I loved that example. So do you have another example of a CEO who did it really well? Well, you know, so this example from the Fastnell story, it, it was one of the most humorous ones mm-hmm. and kind of really captured <laughs> the point of we shouldn't, as leaders, we shouldn't be telling other people what we want them to do without a willingness to model mm-hmm. model the way. Mm-hmm. Um, Herman Miller, uh, the CEO of Herman Miller, Max Dupree, was another example of that. Uh, he, I forget the exact factor, but uh, he had an equation where he capped his salary at uh, like 10, 10 times of the lowest paid worker in the company, okay. something along that lines. It was very, it was very measurable mm-hmm. to say, yes, the CEO is going to be, be paid more, but it's going to be a uh, a ratio that makes sense to the to the community. So he's really well known for uh, talking about serving leadership in his organization, and uh, has some great books out there, uh, Leading Without Power, and a few others that have been really helpful along the way. What is it about leadership that gets you so excited? Well, for better or worse, mm-hmm. we all are impacted by leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, so I begin the book with with a with a quote that says, uh, "Leadership is one of the most observed and least understood phenomena on earth," <laughs> and that's true because. Mm-hmm. Um, whether we're talking about families and parents or whether we're talking about a team that we're on volunteering at a local church or whether we're talking about our business and organization that we're a part of, leaders are always around us. So I feel like if it is something that is affecting our lives on a daily basis, we should know what health looks like for leaders and followers working together. Mm -hmm. And that's really the theme that Mark and I just try to go at hard in this book. I don't know if if people notice it, but we don't spend a lot of time talking about dysfunctional leaders in the book. Mm -mm. So our focus is not trying to name names and point fingers and say these are horrible leaders out there. We want to say we know there are poor leaders in the world, but how do we say, how do we find leaders who are leading with health and our modeling empowering leadership, and how do we hold up those examples and learn from those examples? Certainly starting from the life of Jesus Christ, but then building on that to contemporary leaders who seem to be doing it well. That reminds me of when I was a bank teller, which I think this is a story that's often used, but we studied what real currency look like. Absolutely. And so once we knew what the origin what currency was supposed to look like, then we could more easily understand what a forgery looked like. I love it. I've I've heard that example. I don't know if I've ever talked to somebody who actually <laughs> learned that, but you know, how much more valuable is it to spend time with the authentic? Right. To learn the authentic. Mm-hmm. And that's what we wanted to do in this book. Let's look at examples from the Bible. Let's look at contemporary examples, people who seem to be doing it well, not perfect people, right? I'm sure that, uh, you know, 20 years from now, there's going to be some leader we talk about that has had challenges in their life. Because but they're human. They're human. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, what, do, what can we learn from people who seem to be doing it well? Mm-hmm. So, what is your hope? What is the hope that you and Mark have? Yeah. For this book, we want to we want to change the conversation about leadership. Yeah, so we we recently had an article come out with Christianity Today talking about this theme of power uh, in reference to pastoral leaders mm-hmm. and how is that handled. And I think how a leader treats the power that they are given by their organization and followers 
says a lot about them as a person and says a lot about how that organization is going to be thriving or not in the years to come. Uh, leaders in the future, successful leaders in the future, are not going to be those who are heavy-handed and controlling. They're going to be those who learn how to build a community of people who rally together around common vision, mm-hmm. shared values, and say, we are pulling in the same direction together. And uh, leaders are not not everybody is designed to be a sort of capital L leader at the top of an organization. Uh, not everybody wants that job. Not everybody's wired to that. But everybody should learn how to steward their influence wherever they are mm-hmm. with health and for the good of empowering others. That's what I really enjoyed about reading the book is that I'm not leading a team. I'm, I'm not a corporate leader. But there were so many – there are places that I have influence. That's right. That that I was learning about ways that I can better steward that influence. So I feel like this book is for someone who is in a situation like me or someone who's in a, in a position like you are leading teams or a pastor or someone in a corporation that it really, it really translates to all of those different yeah. roles. Well, I, I think that thinking of it through the influence lens mm-hmm. allows that broad application. And for Christians too, I think there's a recognition that healthy leadership development kind of looks a little bit like healthy discipleship. Mm. It, how am I growing, being transformed more and more into the image of Christ? I think mm-hmm. as we talk about what transformational leaders are, it begins with that personal transformation that we're going through. You know, we're, never, we're not going to be fully formed into the image of Christ until we move into the next chapter. Mm-hmm. But hopefully we're on a journey of experiencing more health than we did earlier in the process. Well, and to go on with that, too, that we're supposed to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Absolutely. Which is the leadership process that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the kind of leadership models out there is looking at the difference between transformational leadership and transactional leadership. Mm-hmm. And one of the big differences in those models is for transformational well, let's begin with transactional. For transactional leadership models, the goal really is for the leader to stay the leader and the follower to stay the follower. And we want to have a good contractual relationship, the follower doing what the leader wants them to do. That's what a lot of the kind of the world's modeling in organizations looks like. Mm-hmm. But that's pretty short-lived. If you want long-term effectiveness, there needs to be an understanding of how leaders uh, are leaders and followers are emerging leaders in their mm. own right. How are they being developed and nurtured to take on leadership responsibilities that fit their gifts and abilities and strengths? Well, and hopefully, I'm hoping, most the people that are listening have been in that kind of, they've probably experienced both. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. how much richer and fulfilling and satisfying it is to be in a position where somebody sees something inside of you Mm -hmm. that they want to develop and help you hone. Yeah. And I think that's the heartbeat behind good servant leadership as well. So a friend of mine, Jim Lobb, has done a lot of thinking on kind of models of servant leadership. And the model begins with those two variables, that servant leadership, first of all, begins with valuing people. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't do servant leadership if leaders don't first and foremost care about people. Right. Do you care about them and do you value them? If that's the foundation point, then the next step, the natural next step of caring for people is to say, how can I invest in this person's development? My goal, and we we jump back to the the parenting examples, my goal is not to have my children stay childlike. Right. (laughs) We want them to grow into mature adults. Mm -hmm. And so there's a natural progression in leadership as well. Yes, early on in a leader-follower relationship, there might be more direction. There might be more equipping that's needed. But 
at the end of the day, you're wanting to release them and see them run. And the reality, it's paradoxical. It's not just about their thriving. When they thrive, organizations thrive. Right. And that's the heartbeat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some of the Southwest airline uh, examples that were shared in the book really kind of capture that theme as well, saying uh, the, the top leaders, the CEO and president say, our first com- customer is the people of this organization. Mm. That if we care for these people who work for the organization, we feel like that's what's going to maximize profit for our company. Then our sort of agreement with our employees is if we treat you as our top priority, our expectation then is that you treat our customers as the top priority. It's sort of everybody flourishes. Everybody grows together. Well, and aren't those the stories that you hear about people flying Southwest? Yeah. And the fun that they have. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I love what you said, too, about valuing, that it starts with valuing people. I mean, Retreat House came out of Benedictine hospitality. Mm -hmm. So welcoming the stranger, recognizing that we're all created in God's image. So when I read that, I loved that, that, that piece of I just love that. I don't even know what else to say about that. <laughs> that valuing other that other people have value. Yeah. Period. Well, it's it's theologically rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, are we people who really believe in the image of God in people? Mm-hmm. If I if I believe that somebody who I am talking with is a person created and valued in the image of God, I'm not going to treat them just as a cog in a system. Right. They're a person. They mm-hmm. have dignity. They have value. And then you can build, and we talk about this in one of the chapters, it starts with valuing, but then people actually do want to be appreciated for what they contribute. Mm -hmm. That's not the core of who they are and their identity, but to be valued for who I am as a person and then appreciated for what I can contribute, that's a fulfilling place to be as a team member. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. Is there anything that we haven't talked about in the book that you want to make sure that people know about? Well, you're a great interviewer, so I think we've covered some of the high (laughs) points. Uh, It's really just about trying to tell the story of healthy leadership, healthy and empowering leadership, based on biblical and theological principles and based on what's the best practice in leadership studies and saying, how can we create a new generation of leadership that's going to value other people and see healthy organizations? Yeah, I think you did that. When I read the book, that's what I thought. I really, I really, really think people are going to get a lot out of this. I mean, personally and in their leadership. We hope that's the case. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So there are two questions I ask all my guests. Mm -hmm. The first one is, how do you retreat? Which Mm -hmm. we talked a little Mm -hmm. bit about the importance of. So is that a place? Is that a practice? What does that look like for you? How do I retreat? I would say that uh, kind of the sweet spot for me is nature. Mm. So it's nice when I when it's a cabin or something like that, too. Mm-hmm. But if it's embedded in nature, that's really the sweet spot for me. So I grew mm-hmm. up in the Pacific Northwest, 15-minute drive uh, from where I lived to the Columbia River Gorge. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes I went out in the morning, just kind of did morning, morning devotions, looking over the Columbia River Gorge mm-hmm. and seeing Mount Hood in the distance. And so uh, anytime I get that kind of connection with nature, um, for it's just uh, seems like uh, God feels a little closer in those times. Yeah, I get that. The North Shore does that for me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then my second question is, if you were to use the hashtag celebrate weird to describe <laughs> something about yourself, what would that be? Celebrate weird. So I, 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 might, I might have two things. Okay. For, these are from my childhood in Oregon, too. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was a, uh, a figure skater on roller skates. So like competitively. <laughs> So I wow, went. I, I went to a state a tournament. Thing. I went oh, okay. to a state tournament. I have a medal 
from uh, third place in the state for my age group in wow. uh, figure skating. So on roller skates. Yeah, imagine Big all the tight skating. spandex and everything. So <laughs> <laughs> scary thought there. <laughs> Uh, and uh, the other thing is that I was in a uh, group that was uh, did unicycling and juggling in parades. Oh, wow. So, so you're just multi-talented. Yeah, this is all kind of like in the late elementary, middle school years. But it was kind of fun to explore some unique sports. I haven't done mm-hmm. much with those since, but yeah. uh, it was fun in my childhood. That's very fun. Well, Justin, thank you so much for coming on and sharing about your book and all this research that you've done. And I, I, think, I think people are going to get a lot out of your book. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me at the table. Any links or anything that we talked about during the show can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. Or if you've already subscribed, please go leave a review so others can find us too. If you want to keep up with what's happening with Retreat House, you can find us at at Retreat House Podcast. If you want to keep up with what's happening with me, you can find me at at Angela Smith MN. Again, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week at the Retreat House Podcast. Mm-hmm.